You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, thank you to the, the Conant Home community there for reading our passage for the week. Uh, if you're new with us, we're a second week into a study in the book of Luke and Acts that we've entitled Kingdom Come. And what we're doing is we're hitting a chapter at a time. So instead of doing more expository every verse throughout Luke, which would take, like Billy said, three years to do, we decided to hit a chapter at a time. And we're kind of leading it up, leaving it up to whoever is the guy uh, communicating that day to pick what out of that chapter they really want to hit on. And, uh, and then we are inviting people to come and read. So if you would like to uh, read publicly, if your home community would like to, to read like the Conan's just model for us, I encourage you guys to do that. Way to go. Guys, Zeb, make a great Jesus, man. You just, there's authority in your voice. Uh, so we've entitled this series Kingdom Come, and uh, what we did is Andrew Painter, our, our local techie, uh, he went out around Portland and, and, and made an incredible video of, uh, of just life in Portland and, and people walking around, and you see their thoughts in that video uh, kind of coming out, and it's thoughts of, of, in all reality, difficulty. It's thoughts of people that need rescue, people that need hope. And we believe that that's what Jesus came here for. He came here to rescue us. He came here to bring us a hope. And not only did his kingdom begin and what we're looking at here, you know, 2,000 years ago, today God's kingdom is radically being advanced in our city. And so we are really just wanting to be a part of what God is doing here and saying, God, may your kingdom come and allow us to be a part of that. And the tagline under kingdom come says, uh, says God's kingdom is upon us. And that's just a cool reality to to think about. Jesus in chapter four last week, he went into the temple. He had just come out of the wilderness being tempted and Billy walked us through that, what that means. Then he goes into the temple and he takes out the scroll of Isaiah and he reads. And this is what we consider our our vision statement here as a church. He reads in Isaiah, he says uh, in 418, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then when he sat down, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Is God's kingdom is upon us. And so we as a church, we wanna be a part of the kingdom. And so we're gonna study the scriptures and say, God, what does that mean to be a part of your kingdom, to be your people called out, to be your ambassadors, to follow you as our leader, as our rabbi, which is what we're gonna look at in the passage today. So we're gonna start in Luke 5 and we're gonna read about the, Jesus calling the first disciples to himself. Uh, but before we jump into it, I just want us to pray one more time, ask God to open up our minds and our hearts to the truth of his scripture and, uh, and then we'll jump into it. So join me in prayer. Uh, Father, I, I and we as your people come before you wanting to be a part of, of your kingdom, Father, believing that we are as your chosen followers, people that have been redeemed and been saved. Uh, we see that you are at work all around us and, 
And so, Father, we want to know you and, and we want to line up our hearts with yours. And so today, Father, as we open up your word and we look, about, um, we look at the calling of the first disciples to you, I pray that you would break down all of our preconceived ideas about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we would look at this and we would look at Peter and we would be able to see the things that he did. And then we would be able to examine our lives and model them after that. So, uh, Father, be with us today. Open our, our hearts to your truth. At the same moment, Father, we pray for Billy as he brings your word at, at a church up in Seattle. I pray that you would speak through him to the church and, and continue to advance your kingdom uh, in, in their life in Seattle, but also in what they're wanting to do in Spain. So we ask your blessing upon that. And now we come before you asking all this in the name of your son and the power that comes along with that name. Amen. So what we're going to see here in Luke 5 is Jesus calling his uh, first disciples to him. Now, in this culture, it wouldn't have been, this would have been pretty typical of a teacher to call disciples. Now, a Jewish boy growing up, from the age of 4 to 12, he would begin his religious studies, every Jewish kid. And what they would have studied would have been the Torah, which would have been the first five books of the Bible. So that's all they did is they pretty much read the first five books of the Bible. Now, if you were a really smart kid, if you had advanced in academics as a student of God's word, you would have actually memorized the first five books of the Bible, which in and of itself sounds like quite a challenge. So then at the age of 12, what would happen is a lot of times, most likely, if you thought you you wanted to continue to study the Bible, if you thought that maybe even God was calling you to be a teacher, what you would do is you would approach a rabbi and you would go to the rabbi and in essence, you would ask him, like you, not can I learn about you or can I learn from you? You would go to them and say, I want to be like you. And the rabbi, the religious teacher would get to choose. He would either say one of two things. He would either say, yes, you can be like me. And then that student would go on to learn the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament. And they would start to learn application and interpretation of Torah. Um, and or the rabbi would say, you should look into your family business because you're not very smart. In all reality, that's, that's what would happen. And it was, it, was, it was shameful and it was embarrassing for a student to have that happen to them. But the majority of Jewish boys went on to do their family business as, as they went on to, to be fishermen or be, you know, Jesus, he was a carpenter. So, which is, which is really ironic because Jesus at the age of 12, was he chosen, you know, to go and be a teacher of the law? No, he continued to be he continued to be a prophet. I mean, he continued to be a carpenter. And then what we're going to see here also in this passage is the disciples here. So this is going to be a group of fishermen who would have been raised in the same Jewish culture. These guys would have studied the Torah. And when they had gotten to the age of 12, basically society would have told them, you're not smart enough to be of the religious elite. You should go and do the family business, which was fishermen for them. And so there were a couple of they were a couple of dumb fishermen, and that's really what they were, what they were in, uh, in society. Uh, and then there was also a couple of examples that we can see in history where rabbis actually went and chose their followers, where the rabbi went and approached a student and said, you've excelled. I want you to come and to be like me, and I will continue to teach you through that. That's the model that we're going to see here. But what's so cool in the way that Jesus does it is he, the people that he chooses— were the ones that nobody else had chosen. So these are the ones, these are the guys that would have studied the scriptures growing up. And then when they had gotten to the age of 12, society would have told them, you cannot be a disciple. You just need to go and do your job. 
And so let's look at who Jesus chooses to make his followers. And what I want to talk about today is what are the requirements to being a disciple of Jesus? So here we go. In verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, On one occasion, while the crowds were pressing in to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. For, for, so from a pragmatic standpoint, uh, Jesus is getting popular. He has begun to teach in synagogues. He had begun to travel around to some of the cities in Galilee and been performing miracles. He's already healed people of sicknesses. He's already cast out demons. So the guy's getting pretty popular pretty fast. He's starting to attract large crowds of people to himself. And so in this instance, they're walking along the Sea of Galilee and the crowd is actually getting so large, it's beginning to crush upon Jesus. So he says, okay, I'm going to hop into this boat because I doubt they're going to wander out in the water to follow me. I'll push out a little bit from the shore and I will begin to teach these people from the shore so that they can still hear me. So when he gets done with his teaching time, he looks to Peter and look what he asked Peter to do. And in, uh, in verse four, it says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon Peter, same person, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So Jesus tells Simon, a fisherman, to go and to push his boat out, which kind of, you had to imagine, it had to be a pain because, you know, these guys had just got done fishing all night long. That's what it says. They didn't catch anything. They've brought their boats to shore. They've gotten out. They've started washing their nets. So they're done for the day. And Jesus says, hey, get back in the boat and let's push it out. And we're going to go out and we're going to go fishing. Now for Simon, this had to have been ironic because he's like, who are you to tell me how to fish? Like you're, you're a teacher. And not only that, aren't you the carpenter's son? You know what? I, I'm, I'm the guy. Like, I'm the fisherman. I know how to do this. We just, all night long, we just fished. This is not a good time to do it. That's when you should have fished. We tried it, professional here, Jesus, and it didn't work. Now, that's that, that's that moment of tension that I think all of us at some point when we encounter God are going to have to have. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have that point of tension in your life where you say, okay, I believe that there is someone, something out there that knows more than I do. I believe that I don't have all the answers because there will come a time in your life, typically at the beginning, when you first start learning about God and being introduced to him, that God is going to ask you to take a step of obedience, a step of, of belief to to say, okay, God, are you real? And that can look very different for a lot of us. If you're an intellectual thinker, that step may be you saying, okay, God, I'm not sure what this looks like, but I know that there has to be something else out there. So I am going to open my mind up and say, okay, God, I believe that, that I'm not sure what that looks like, but I believe that, 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 you, could, that you could be there. In that moment, that's that first step in following Jesus. So the first requirement in following Jesus, to be his disciple, you just got to believe. 
Like you just have to believe in looking at your life and looking at what's around you that there's more that you cannot explain that you do not know. And you're going to step out and say, okay, God, I will, I will take a step of obedience. Even though it doesn't make sense, I believe that you can use me. Because we live in a culture of shame where, where we're told that, that if you're not good enough, if you're not smart enough, if you don't look this way, if you don't act this way, then you'll never become anything in life. And that's not what we believe and that's not what we teach in the scriptures. But because we've been raised in a culture, we, a lot of times we think like that. We think of, oh, God can never use me or, or I, I, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not smart enough. I just don't look a certain way. But look who Jesus chooses. He chooses the wrong people at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he tells them, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to come and know me. So not even on a personal level, I think our church feels a certain amount of pressure in this too. Um, me and I, when we were talking with Sean, um, he said that back when he decided to plant this church a, a decade ago, he was told, do not plant a church in North Portland. It will not be successful. It, it, it just won't. It's, it's not the right place. The people are not affluent enough. There's too much poverty in, in, in the area. You just really won't, won't go anywhere. And by the way, if you do happen to plant a church, you'll never really be more than a hundred or so people. It'll never grow, it'll never grow beyond that. And me and Royce, even in a meeting we were in recently, we, I got that same impression that, that, that some, some of the, some pastors that we were talking with said, you know, Red Sea will, will never really go beyond what it is today because you don't have the right people at the right time in the right place. And I'm like, show me that in scripture. I mean, please show me where God chose the smartest guy who had all the abilities at the right place to do his work. You don't ever see that, do you? Like you see the most messed up people in a place that you wouldn't ever consider God to do that. Even Jesus, he's from Nazareth. I mean, no, nothing good come, comes out of Nazareth. And, and Joseph, his dad, he's a, he's a carpenter and he's surrounding himself with a bunch of smelly fishermen. You know, that, that, thing will just, that thing will just blow over. It'll never become anything, right? But what do you see? Like in the people that, that God chooses, he chooses Peter, right? What does he later go on to tell Peter? He says, hey, upon you, I'm going to build my church. And then we see in Acts, Peter and, and John, these guys are actually leading the church and they're going before the religious leaders and they're, they're actually just like teaching the word and scripture to these people. And, and the religious people are looking at them and they're saying, aren't these the idiots from the villages? Like, didn't, didn't I buy fish from you? Like, who are you that you can come in here? And, but I see you have all of this knowledge and I don't know where it came from. I see that you have all this power. That's because God chooses the underdog. You know, God chooses the broken and he chooses the sinner. He chooses the, the slut, you know? He chooses the fallen and the weak and the meek. Royce is gonna go through the Beatitudes next week when he teaches. And we're gonna say, what does it mean to follow God? Blessed are, and it's not what you would expect. And so I'm not trying to downplay abilities here. Because I believe that God has given us abilities. We see that in scripture. We see there's even spiritual abilities, spiritual gifts that he gives us. But don't, I just want to encourage you guys, don't buy into the lie that God isn't going to use you to do great things because you don't meet some type of false expectation that maybe you set up for yourself or that the world has set up for you. Because God will use you for his kingdom.
And he's going to go on to use Peter here to do incredible, amazing things. But are you going to choose to follow? Are you going to say, okay, God, I will put down all of those preconceived ideas that I have and all of my failings, all of my sin, and I will say, okay, God, I will do this thing that you are asking me to do. So in Peter's case, it was, okay, I just need you to trust me. Throw the nets overboard and see what happens. So let's look and see what happens here. He says in verse 8, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, his, uh, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is a beautiful picture. And this is really funny when I was thinking about the Conants reading this. I was like, are they going to act this out? Like, this would be really cool, you know? Like, like Peter's standing there and he's like, oh, okay. And Peter's kind of the guy in charge here. He would have been like the lead fisherman. And I think it's kind of cool. Here is like maybe 18 or 19. Like we, a lot of times we think of Peter and see he's the same age as Jesus, but he's not. He's this like this young fisherman. And then we got these other guys there. We got uh, John here and John's probably like maybe 14. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a young guy. And so they throw the nets over even maybe half-heartedly and they say, okay, I'll throw it over. And then they begin to catch the largest amount of fish that they've ever seen in your life. It's even so much fish that the boat begins to sink. So these boats are 20 to 30 feet long. And we know that multiple men can get at them and fish at one time. So they're pulling these nets in and the fish just keep on coming. They just keep on coming. And it's like, it's like Russell's dream here, you know, and and they just don't stop filling up the boat. And then it's to the point of the boats actually sinking. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's what God does. People, the, the wrong people, you know, the sinful people, they say, okay, I'll, I'll do what you're asking me to do. And then God just does his miraculous things. And we know that it wasn't when fish shouldn't have been there. If they were, the fishermen would have been out there. It wasn't the right time, but God begins to work and he begins to fill the boat. And so the boat starts to sink and Peter in the midst of this chaos falls to his knees. And what does he say? What does he say to Jesus? Oh crap, I'm a sinful man. Like he realizes that he is in the presence of God, that maybe he took that step and saying, okay, you're a teacher. You got this big crowd here. I'm hearing some rumors. You know, you guys have heard about maybe who God is and what he can do. And then when you step out, you're like, whoa. And the response to God's greatness should be the same response that Peter has here is, oh crap, like look at, look at what I've produced with my life and, and I, I'm a sinner. And, and maybe Peter, maybe he was smart enough to be a disciple in that culture. Maybe he was just too sinful, you know? Maybe he was just a dirty fisherman, you know, that, that society didn't want to have anything to do with. So Peter realizes his brokenness and his sinfulness. So the second requirement, if you want to be a disciple of God, a disciple of Jesus, aside from believing and taking a step of faith, you need to confess. Because Peter here would have grown up reading the Torah, right? He would have read those first five books of the Bible. He would have known what happens when sinful people come into the presence of a holy God. It would have meant death. And so he makes that connection and says, wow, look at all the sin that's in my life. God, you need to to depart from me. 
And so Peter had the right response in humbling himself before the Father and saying, you know what, God, I, Jesus, I, I just... I just need to fall on my knees before you and realize that my life, I've made a mess with. I'm very sinfully influenced. I am fallen. I am broken. I am all of those things. But then the cool thing is, we now live in light of knowing who Jesus was and why he was here on the earth. We know that he came to die and to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. And so we not only get to humbly bow before Jesus, recognizing our sinfulness, we get to stand back up. And to be seen as holy and perfect in God's sight. Not because of our abilities, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, right? Amen? Romans, Romans, Romans 10, 9, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised, you, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a beautiful picture of, of grace and, and who God is. Man, talk about Jesus coming to rescue and to save us as we come before him submitting humbly our lives and our mess and our our filth and our nasty, our nasty like fishermen lives. And God said, and Jesus says, okay, now stand back up. You have been forgiven. Now I'm going to use you for my kingdom. I'm going to use you to advance and, and to move forward in what, in what I'm doing. And this is what we see in verse nine, five, nine. Uh, Jesus says to him, for he and all, uh, this is Peter, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Isn't that awesome? The, the response of, of humbly bowing before the master, the rabbi, is he says, don't be afraid because I am going to use you. I am going to empower you. Uh, to do to do my work and and I, I love that picture because just thinking about these guys, just thinking about Peter and John and what that looks like man did, did John do anything significant at all after this? Did he write any book that <laughs> has changed history at all and the Gospel of John and that's that came from a a young fourteen year old kid who was rejected by society who humbled himself before God and said, yes, you know, I acknowledge who I am and yes, I will follow you and I will let you use me for your glory and, and whatever, whatever that looks like in, a, in our lives. And we continue to see the picture of this happening over and over again as we see people meeting Jesus, being radically changed and then being empowered to go and do something. Even when you read on in chapter five here, the paralytic where his friends lower him down through the roof, right? They tear apart the roof and they lower him down. What happens after he gets saved and he's forgiven? He takes up his mat rejoicing and goes back to his home. What about Levi? At the end of chapter five, Levi's this sinful tax collector. I mean, this guy's a freaking cheat. You know, he's taking people's money from him all the time. He encounters God, realizes his sinfulness, and actually leaves his tax collecting booth, goes and invites all of his friends over to his house to meet this incredible guy named Jesus, to see these incredible things that he's done. That's what we're called to do. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, number three is you have to be willing to follow him wherever he goes. Because God is going to ask you to give up something. He may be asking you to give up a preference. He may ask you to give up your 
desires, your ambitions, your goals, because he wants to take those and he wants to match them up with his. And he wants to use you for an incredible work. And because what do we see here? What does he do here to these guys? He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That word catching actually means rescuing. He says, I'm going to use you to rescue people from destruction. Do you guys feel that? Do you feel that empowering from God that he will use you to rescue people from destruction? He's not going to use Josh Duncan. I get the cool honor of a couple, maybe once or twice a month getting up here and talk with you guys, but I'm going to go out from this place and back into my neighborhood. And I'm going to say, I believe that God is going to use me to rescue people. I'm not going to go to your neighborhood. I'm not going to go to your job. As a church, we're not even going to plan some large carnival for you to invite all your friends to. Because your, I guess, your requirement in knowing Jesus and in following him is to go. And is to take that to some place. And that's, that's where there's the disconnect in our mission. As, as we're obedient to step out to God and say, okay, God, I'll believe in you. And then, God, I'll find forgiveness in you and in your son. But now I'm supposed to go and I'm supposed to take and I'm supposed to rescue. I just don't know if I can do that. Find hope in who he chooses. Find hope in, in following him because he will use you. God is choosing to use you and he's choosing to use us as a church for amazing things. And I'm not going to put a limit to what that looks like. What do you guys think the significance of the large catch of fish is? What do you think? Why couldn't it have been a small catch of fish? Why couldn't it have been one big fish? I think it's, I think it's showing, huh? Yeah. Look at, look at all that God can do. You know, look at, look at these amazingly beautiful things that he can do. When we follow him. And so as a church and as God's people, I'm stoked that God is choosing smelly fishermen to use his kingdom. It gives me hope. It gives me hope that he's going to use us in this place. And we look around and we go, man, there's, there's more empty chairs here than there used to be. God must not be at work in this place. And oh man, the tide's not as much as it used to be. God's not at work in this place. Where are you getting those limitations from? The world? Or maybe, maybe personally it's, I just, I can't talk like he can. You know, I don't, I don't have that same gift and God's just not going to use it. Will. And he, and he does over and over again to make his glory known. Because I truly believe he chooses the weak and the broken and the sinful. Because he wants all, he's going to get all the credit, right? He's going to take you. And, and say, okay, I'm going to use you for my glory. And so as a church, what we have to be willing to do is to say, okay, God, we believe, we confess. That's part of worship is acknowledging our sinfulness. We come to these tables and we break bread and we dip it in the wine and we remember what Jesus did and paying the penalty for us. But then we don't stop there. We look at that and say, because of that, I can now be with the Father. I can actually come close to the Father. I can, Jesus is now my intercessor. I can go and, and know the Father and be intimate with him. And then he can use us. And so 
be obedient to that process. So think about that. What is that next step in your life if you're a follower of Christ in obedience? What's that next step that he's asking you to take? It may be serving in in the church. I truly believe that you will know God more in serving than you will in any other aspect of, of community here as a church. You can go into a home community, which is awesome, which, which we do, and which is a vital and part of this, of this community. And you can sing and, and worship before the Father. But there is something incredibly, uh, I guess, empowering that God does when we serve when we serve our community and when we serve the church. And, and it makes sense all of a sudden. And so I, I'm asking some of you guys to consider serving. We need, we need people to serve downstairs in our children's ministry. You know, we need to rescue children. You know, we need to share God's truth with them. I'm asking you guys to, to, to serve it in your neighborhoods and to go and to rescue your neighbors who are apart from God and who do not know him. Because that's what it means to follow God. That's what it means to be a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. Uh, so what we're going to do right now is spend some time worshiping and praying about that. And uh, Macker's going to come back up and he's going to lead us in a couple of more songs. And uh, I would encourage you guys one, for one aspect is to give. We're going to pass buckets around to, to further the mission of this church and, and how, we're, how we're serving this community. And to come to these tables to remember do this in remembrance of me to remember that you've been forgiven. To remember that God is using you. And then ask for the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. To just say, God, give me strength to do it. Give me strength to lead in my community. Because God has gifted me and is wanting to use me to lead in my community. And don't put any limitations on that. And then wait and step back and just see what God does. And, and follow him. And as you read the scriptures, and as you continue to read Luke, and as we walk through it, we're going to see this incredibly beautiful thing that God's going to do. So as a church, we are the disciples. We're Peter. And we get to leave this place following the rabbi on the mission that he's on and proclaiming the kingdom in Portland and in St. John's. And it's going to be freaking cool. It really is. Like, I'm stoked about what that looks like for us as a church. And, uh, and getting to walk in it. So let's just pray, ask for God's empowering us on us as his people, and, uh, and ask for the Holy Spirit. And then uh, we'll, we'll worship and, and break bread as a family. Uh, Father God, God, I can't help but preach this with a smile on my face, is, uh, is I do believe and I do know that you are working here in this place. I see lives being changed. I see, I see people getting saved. I see people like Peter realizing their, their brokenness and their fallenness and, and them humbly submitting themselves before you and you raising them up to be your ambassadors, to be like you and proclaiming your message. God, please, Father, do that in this place. We believe that we can only do that because of the 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 sacrifice that your son paid on the cross here, God. We, we can only do that because you have paid the penalty for our sin. And so now we can know you and we can be empowered by you. And so God, I pray in the name of your son and I pray in the empowering of your Holy Spirit upon your people to do a work in this place. And God, I believe it'll be a mighty work. I believe it'll be a lot of fish. 
And Father, I believe that you will choose the, the outcast, the, the ragamuffin, God. You will choose the sinner and the poor and the downcast for your proclamation of your name and for your glory. And so, God, we want to be your people to know you. And so we rise up, God. I encourage you guys, stand up. We rise up, Father, following you in obedience, God, of just saying we are your people. And we want to be known for your kingdom, God. We want to see your kingdom advance in this place. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Use us like you use Peter and John and James, God. Use us to proclaim boldly your word. Give us the words to say, words that we don't even know, Father. We believe that you can do that through us, God. I look at, I look at your scriptures and I see, Father, because a few people were obedient to you, that few people turned into a thousand people. And then about a year, that thousand people turned into 10,000 people. And with a hundred years, that 10,000 people was a hundred thousand people. And with three, 300 years, God, it was millions of people following you in a very, very short amount of time, God. If you can do that through them, God, then you can do that through us. And so we will be obedient in what that looks like to you, God. We will, we will just walk with you in boldness and in humility, Father. I, I come before you on my knees, God, asking you to use your people, not wanting to, to be known for my namesake, God, not wanting to, to, to try to raise up Josh Duncan so that people will know him, but for you to be known, God, and for your name to be proclaimed. And in all of my sin and all of my humility as your people, we lay it before you. We lay it before your cross. And we ask that you take that sin, God. We ask that you take our filth and all the things that we've produced in this life and you make it and you shape it into a new creation, God. I believe that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus, that you are raising up a priesthood of believers, a people for your name, God. I, I just want that to be known in this place. We, we Father, we want you to be known. And we want to we go and we want to catch and we want to rescue. So use that, God. Use us. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Jesus is dining with, with Levi and his tax collecting friends. And uh, it says in 530, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of the physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what we get to do when we leave this place, is we get to go and, and be friends with the tax collector and the sinner. We get to go and, and love our neighbors because that's who Jesus is calling to himself. That's why he's come, so that people can know us and we get to be the ones that take that message out into a world. So I wanna send you guys out, encouraging you to uh, go and to catch fish, go and to redeem. And, uh, and, and look and, and wait and see what God's going to do through you and in you and uh, for his kingdom. So you guys are, are sent. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.